1: my knee-jerk reaction was just make sure that he doesn't have such a bad taste in his mouth so that you're not completely screwed over in this situation
2: this man sexually harassed you and in that moment you're thinking i have to preserve my job correct yes
3: Welcome to The Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. You just heard an excerpt from Andrea Kramer's new story about the plight of female sports reporters. Seemingly everywhere you turn these days, there are women carving out prominent and impressive roles as leading voices in sports media. But privately, these women say they're still subjected to a constant wave of harassment and sexualization in their male-dominated workplace. Many are reluctant to share those stories, fearful that blowing the whistle could come at the expense of their careers. But on today's podcast, you'll hear that full Andrea Kramer report in which she spoke to a few women who were willing to speak out and share with Real Sports their experiences. And joining me on today's podcast to discuss the story is our own Andrea Kramer. Andrea, thanks so much for coming on.
2: It's my pleasure, Max. It's always nice to work with you.
3: Well, well, thank you. And likewise. And Andrea, as we'll discuss later, these issues plaguing female reporters are sadly not new. They're no doubt ones you yourself know well from your own career. But are you surprised that in 2021, we're still here and a story like this still needs to be told?
2: Sadly. Let's can can I use that word just to start? Yeah, it's it there's more women than ever in the business, Max, which is which is great, but the, the same core issues exist. And the big issue is that when I was coming up in the business, the word harassment wasn't even in my vernacular. And I'm not alone. We never viewed it that way ever. We never thought about that. We're being harassed in retrospect. Let's just put it this way, Max. When the Me Too movement started, I chatted with a number of my peers of of my cohort, my generation, if you will, of sports reporters. You know what our reaction was? Oh, yeah, that happened. Check that box. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But it never occurred to us that it was harassment. And today, women know it's harassment.
3: Well, we'll now hear more from these various women Andrea interviewed. And stick around, because Andrea will be back with me afterwards to talk about the culture of fear and silence that persists for women in sports. Andrea will share some of her own personal experiences, and we'll explore what can and should be done to make sports media a more accepting place for women. But first, here's Andrea Kramer's Real Sports Report. We are here for the NFL Scouting Combine today in Indianapolis.
2: Once a year, the nation's best football prospects gather at the NFL Scouting Combine to showcase their athletic prowess in front of all 32 teams in the league. The week-long event draws a veritable who's who from the world of football. From coaches, to scouts, to executives, making it a sports reporter's dream.
1: There's a lot of... Good access to be had if you just go there and can work the room and everything along those lines. And for a young reporter who is really competitive, that's enticing.
2: But for Rhiannon Walker, a writer for the website The Athletic, the reporter's dream turned into more of a nightmare. When she discovered that after hours, in Indianapolis restaurants and bars, the NFL personnel she was courting as sources had more than football on their minds.
1: The really bold ones will be hanging on you the entire night. They'll proposition you. They'll tell you what their room number is and which hotel. Any tactic you have heard of or thought of, you will see it there. And as a female
2: sports reporter, why do you need to be there?
1: Get access. But at what personal cost? Well, in my situation, it was being sexually harassed in a very public forum. That was my personal cost.
2: Walker says it all began in 2019 at a crowded Indianapolis steakhouse when she was approached by a man whose team she was covering, Alex Santos, the director of player personnel for the Washington football team.
1: He told me I have a wagon for an ass and um, that he finds me really fucking attractive and he asked me if I wasn't dating my girlfriend, would he be my boyfriend or would I be attracted to him? And I was like, no. No. You work for the team that I cover. So automatically you're unattractive to me.
2: But Santos persisted, Walker says, telling her that he'd been discussing her looks with a table full of his staffers. Then she says, pinching her side in front of them. Walker says she was furious but remained calm.
1: My knee-jerk reaction was, just make sure that he doesn't have such a bad taste in his mouth so that you're not completely screwed over in this situation.
2: In that moment, you're thinking... I have to preserve my job. Correct, yes. There are people that
1: I talk to within his department. If I screw him over, then they might not talk to me. Now I'm
2: screwed out of doing all the things I need to
1: do with my job.
2: What else would you have wanted to say to Santos? Uh,
1: I want to tell him to fuck off, honestly. Don't put your fucking hands on me.
2: Walker says the experience left her feeling diminished.
1: I felt really small
2: and um, I was so
1: embarrassed.
2: I was so embarrassed and it felt so unfair. For those of us who've long been covering the world of big time sports, stories like these are upsetting but not surprising. Because while the Me Too movement has helped root out sexual harassment in many industries across America and beyond, the male-dominated sports field has largely managed to keep its dirty little secret. For the past several months, we've spoken with two dozen female sports reporters who say that from the NFL to the NBA to Major League Baseball, they are routinely objectified or propositioned for sex or dates by the very men they cover. The offenders range from executives to coaches, from scouts to players.
1: I had a player ask me if I would give him a massage one time. In text message, too, no less. I was like, no, that's not going to work. Do you think this is something that any of your male colleagues have had to go through? No, and I wouldn't wish it on them either.
2: Recently, multiple reports emerged about the harassment of female journalists by former members of a single team, the New York Mets.
4: The New York Mets firing general manager Jarrett Porter this morning after he sent explicit and unsolicited text messages and images to a female reporter.
2: Then, weeks later, former Mets manager Mickey Calloway was accused by at least five female sports reporters of sending them lewd messages and sexually charged photos.
0: I get so pissed off and angry for some of these women who have to deal with all these things.
2: Jessica Kleinschmidt knows just how they feel.
0: We know he's a power hitter, but the way he's been hitting, he's actually making contact.
2: She now covers the Oakland A's for NBC Sports in the Bay Area. But four years ago, when she was covering a team in the minor leagues, she says she had a similar experience involving the team's communications manager, the executive in charge of handling the media.
0: He was sending pictures of his dick, basically, and um, both inside of his underwear and outside. The second one he sent, I was ballsy, and I said, look, dude, not into it, not a fan. And then it must have went over his head because he sent me a third one.
2: This is the communications manager of the team who's sending
0: you these inappropriate pictures? Yeah, he was the guy that I had to approach and say, can I talk to this player, or to the manager, or set up an interview or anything like that. How concerned were you that he could ice you out? Very concerned. You know, I was freelancing, so if I didn't write an article, I wasn't gonna get paid. So if I got anything turned down,
2: I was screwed. So Schmidt says that she too kept her anger to herself and continued to cultivate a warm professional relationship.
0: I hate to admit that, but in the press box, I would just be like, hey, how's it going? And I kind of need you in my, not back pocket, but we need a relationship because I'm trying to further my career. And so I was unfortunately really nice to him, which pisses
2: me off to even think about. Kleinschmidt's experience was the continuation of a trend that goes back half a century. Back in the 1970s, The first wave of women looking to cover big-time men's sports were often treated not as reporters, but as
4: sex objects. It's what they essentially did to me when they talked about me, indicating that I was someone who wanted to be there to leer and look at the athletes.
2: Sports Illustrated writer Melissa Ludke was one of the first female reporters to cover pro baseball in the 1970s, but was denied access to the players' locker rooms due to her gender. When Lepke fought back, eventually suing Major League Baseball, she and other female reporters were lampooned in the press.
4: The cartoonists did a great job of depicting us. We were always great buxom, and we had great huge breasts, which I never had. But, you know, there we were, this sort of lascivious, uh, you know, kind of vexen that was going to go in and victimize these, these poor ballplayers. To do your job, why do you need the same immediacy of access? the same reason the male reporters
2: do. Ultimately, the court sided with Ludge and her colleagues, mandating that female sports reporters receive the same access as males. But within the industry, long-held views were slower to change. Your lawsuit Mm -hmm. changed the law. Equal access for women. But what about the cultural attitudes?
4: Well, those are still in the process of evolving, I'm sad to say. I mean, 35, 40 years after what I went through in my own career to change things, what I thought was for the better, and now the women have the access, but there's the issues of behavior, there's the issues of attitudes, there's the issues still of their treatment. The treatment persists
2: in part because many female reporters fear they'll be punished for speaking up. Rhiannon Walker has heard the horror stories.
1: I've had women come up to me and say they got fired or they got demoted, or they got pushed off to the side.
2: After having been sexually harassed? After being sexually harassed. In fact, most of the two dozen female sports reporters Real Sports spoke with told us they fear making their allegations public because they worry about their reputations, being labeled liars, or worse, being ignored. It was a fear that pro football reporter Nora Princiati says she felt after being harassed by an NFL executive who worked for the team she covered. She says he asked her if she would date him, and Kat called her multiple times in team parking lots.
5: Once, he rolled down the window of the car and said that he liked my dress and that he hadn't noticed that I had a great ass for a little white girl.
2: You had a nice ass for a little white girl. Yeah.
5: And for a little bit, he was sort of, like, driving alongside of me, and I just was like, I... I want to get out of here so badly. I just felt dirty. How did you respond? I couldn't speak. Half of me was going, how is it possibly okay for you to say that to me? Another half was going, there's people around, like somebody's going to see. How did it make you feel about yourself? Like a collection of body parts. To feel so excited about your career and just kind of be smacked in the face with there are always going to be people who are not going to see you that way, was really hard for me.
2: But Princiati says when she consulted her colleagues about the incidents, they told her that if she spoke up about what was happening, it would not end well for anyone involved.
5: I did hear that if I went to the PR department, anyone in PR was more likely to get fired or shut down or silenced than he
2: was than the man who's actually acting inappropriate towards you. Yeah. So Princiati stayed silent until two years later in 2019 at the NFL Combine when she learned that another female reporter had allegedly been harassed by the same executive. The reporter's name? Rhiannon Walker. The executive? Alex Santos. The two women had never met, but soon traded stories. The thing that just
5: blew my mind a little bit was, you know, he, he had the same syntax. Like, he would say some of the same sentences to
2: both of us. But soon, Princiati was struck by another realization. Did you regret it, that you hadn't spoken up two years earlier? Yeah. A lot. How does that resonate for you even to this day?
5: When I found out that it hadn't just happened to me, I, I just felt I just, I felt crushed. Like, I just hadn't, I just didn't do anything about it. And I could have.
2: Both women then disclosed their harassment by Santos to team officials. What they didn't know was that the team had received two earlier reports, dating back to 2016, by two other women, claiming they had also been harassed by Santos. Yet despite those four reports, Santos kept his job for more than a year, until July 2020, when a Washington Post exposé detailed sexual harassment allegations against Santos and other team executives. Why did it take for the Washington Post to publish a story for Alex Santos to finally be fired?
1: Because the culture there supported from top to bottom. (laughs) That's why. That's why it persisted. People didn't care.
2: Both Santos and the Washington football team declined to comment for this story. But Walker and Princiati are not the only reporters who say they've been disappointed in the actions, or lack of action, taken by the team to which they've reported abuse. After Jessica Kleinschmidt was sent those obscene photos by the communications manager of the minor league team she was covering, she complained to team officials and got a response from the president. And what action was taken? He said, this won't happen again. According to the team, the communications manager was warned to, quote, cease any and all unprofessional behavior. And he did, at least with Kleinschmidt. But another woman working in baseball told us that about a year later, that same communications manager sent her the same kinds of obscene images. Kleinschmidt blames the team for not taking stronger action after her complaint. Why do you think that this man did it again to another woman a year later?
0: Because he kept his job. So he thought, well, if I'm allowed to keep my job, I'm just going to do it again.
2: And it's not just the teams. Rhiannon Walker says the leagues need to more severely punish this kind of behavior.
1: You have to make it really, really painful for them to keep people in-house that subscribe to this kind of behavior. I've seen more serious repercussions for a ball being deflated than I have for the stuff that's going on here in Washington. And why is that? It's just the football. Comparatively, these are human beings who have to deal with the long-term repercussions of what is done to them.
2: As for the NFL combine, Walker says not much has changed since her first experience there.
1: I still see the same behavior of people touching women inappropriately when they go through the room and things of that nature. They just continue to operate the way that they always have because up to this point, they've gotten away with it.
3: And I'm now back with Andrea Kramer, Andrea, I know from talking to you over the years, it's been a mission of yours to help mentor young, aspiring female reporters. Given that, how hard was it for you to do that story and hear these sorts of accounts?
2: I will be very honest with you, Max. Doing this story was triggering for me in a lot of ways. Uh, It brought back a lot of uh, things that either I'd forgotten or maybe a shrink would say I'd suppressed. I don't know. But I think that one thing that did benefit me, and look, we we know as correspondents on real sports that there are times when we do stories that with with which we have a personal connection. For me, I think that one of the reasons that these women were so comfortable talking to me is because they knew that I got it. I'd been in their shoes, and I had I I fully understood their experiences, and, and it did not. Prevent me from still challenging them on certain things as I needed to as a journalist, but they knew that they had an understanding ear, and I think that that was that was very important uh, to them and enabled them to open up as they did.
3: And you you have walked in those shoes, and do you mind sharing with us some of the treatment you've endured throughout your career and and some of the stories that that kind of jump out to you?
2: I was a young producer, and I was transitioning to to a job when I was on camera. And what are you supposed to look like? I I didn't know how to dress. I was, all all I was ever concerned about was my content and my incessant preparation. And all of a sudden I had to now worry or or be concerned with what I'm supposed to appear like on camera. So I said to my producer, who was a male at the time, you know, what do you want me to look like? And he looks me straight in the eye and says, we want you to be friendly, able and the word it's a verb and it begins with f and I'll let your audience figure that out but for the PG of audience I'm gonna not say it he says we want you to be friendly effable and informative and I just stared at him and and then he said as though I didn't understand it's like they want to be effing you while they're talking football and I was so shocked. Look, I give the guy credit for being honest, okay? But I was so shocked. And I I hate to say it, Max, in some ways, what's changed? The big thing that's changed is that today, no one would ever say that publicly. They would never say it out loud to someone. You're gone. You're done. Career over if you're a man saying that to a woman. But in a lot of ways, even as what's exemplified in our story, what's changed with that with that mentality. That was shocking to me to have somebody just verbalize it. And he meant it.
3: And that treatment, is it true that some of the women you and the producer spoke to, it affected them in more subtle ways? I heard that um, some are even afraid to exchange basic contact information with male sources.
2: Yeah, and by the way, you bring up the producer and and, and as you know from being in those shoes for, for and how much reporting goes on, Katie Malone is our, our producer on this and and she talked to probably more than 50 women, uh, certainly dozens of whom had been harassed, so that the reporting on this was, was very, very, very in-depth. Yeah, I mean listen, double standard. That's what exists for female sports reporters in a male-dominated business. Things that are necessary. They are really the backbones of developing sources and doing your job. Getting phone numbers, there are women that don't want to ask for phone numbers because they're concerned how that might be perceived. So these are things that women have to deal with, and it takes a mental toll. Uh, I think Rhiannon put it best. She talked about the extra mental hurdles that exist for women and. In some cases, it drives women from the sport. They don't want to have to deal with this. There's, you're already competing. You're already at a disadvantage. And now you have to deal with these kinds of issues.
3: What does it say to you, Andrea, that Real Sports spoke to, as you said, dozens of women with similar stories, but so few even today would go public?
2: Fear and intimidation. They don't want to lose their jobs. And Max, here's the big thing. And, and, and the women that, we, that even came forward and we spoke to on camera said the same thing. They are expecting to get torched on social media. One of the women we spoke with said that if her interview is in the story, she expects to have to just shut down her Twitter account for a good couple of weeks for her own mental health. Because she doesn't want to have to know what's being said out there. But these women, you know, I I shudder to use the word courageous because, you know, on a personal level, courageous is, is you know, like what the armed forces do. Right. But let me tell you something. There is a high degree of courage that these women did use to come forward and talk about their situations.
3: I'm glad you mentioned social media because I, I was going to ask you the ways in which you think that's made it harder for women in sports media today than when you and and your colleagues were breaking in pre-social media.
2: That is the single, in my opinion, the single biggest difference that exists from when I was coming up and what women have to deal with now. Because as I told you about the producer who could say something to my face, that's what he had to do. But today, you can text something, you can be, you can put something on Instagram which is, you could put something on Snapchat. It is a huge difference maker. It, it enables people, uh, the, it, it enables perpetrators to, uh, to be much more aggressive in terms of their words or, or visual images. But as one of the women that we spoke with said to us, female sports reporters kind of get, they get it from all sides. You get it from people you're trying to cultivate as sources, players, coaches, executives, team leaders, you get it from your peers, you get it from media members, you get it from the PR. Where are women, so to speak, safe in terms of trying to build a career? You really get inundated from all sides. And how does that make you feel as a father of a girl, Max? Seriously. Think about that.
3: Yeah, it's it's worse. Don't let your daughter grow
2: up to be a sports journalist.
3: <laughs> huh. uh, do you sense it's worse in certain sports than in others?
2: I have covered all sports. If you speak to these women, and that's what I want to, I want to deflect, defer to them if we can, they will tell you that Major League Baseball is the most egregious, followed by the NFL, and then NBA and hockey sort of didn't come up on our radar at, at this juncture of reporting. But believe me, I'm not saying in any way that it doesn't exist in hockey. And those are just the four major professional sports that we're talking about.
3: So big picture in in, in your piece, uh, Rhiannon and Walker doesn't sound terribly optimistic about progress being made and where we're headed. How about you? Do you sense change in the culture, a greater level of accountability, or you think it's it's still going to be a long time coming?
2: When Harvey Weinstein happened, that little group that I mentioned earlier in our chat, we had a we had a talk and we said, is when do we get sports, or in particular, pro football's Me Too moment? And I don't know if it's going to be a moment or if it's an evolving movement. I'm hoping the latter. I'm hoping that what people saw happened in Washington was... It just resonated for them in a way to say, I don't want this to happen in my organization. We have to have dialogue about this. This is not acceptable. And I also hope that people will see that women like Rhiannon Walker, like Nora Princiati, like Jessica Kleinschmidt, the three women who we featured in our story, that they came forward and they're hoping that change is going to happen. I will say this, though, Max, of those three women, only Rhiannon still covers the team against whom she basically brought these charges, the Washington football team. And I got to tell you, that that puts my respect level for Rhiannon even higher because she's got to go in there every day. But I think that she received a lot of support, mainly from her employer. And that's the other thing that's really key. If somebody goes to you, if a writer goes to you and you're the editor, you're the managing editor, support that that female don't say, hey, it's part of the business and that's the way suck it up, which exactly, Max, is what I was told by veteran female journalists were told by their editors 10, 20 years ago.
3: Well, Andrea, I know in, in many ways it was a personal and challenging story for you to work on. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on to, to chat with us.
2: Well, I I appreciate the the dialogue, Max. And again, I I bring up, you you know, not in a trite way, you know, your own personal experience as the father of a daughter, because, again, I think that's going to, in some ways, change even your perspective of, of this whole issue. Absolutely. And I think that once people personalize it and think about the personal toll that's being taken on people who just want to do their jobs, maybe, just maybe that resonates and creates change.
3: Well, Andrea, thank you again. And Andrea's story is just part of this month's episode of Real Sports. Also on the new show, Bryant Gumbel leads a panel discussion on the International Olympic Committee's rule forbidding political protest at its events. He's joined by three athletes heading to the Tokyo Games, as well as Tommy Smith, who famously raised a fist at the 1968 Olympics. John Frankel reports on mini bull riders, little kids as young as eight years old. These brave little buckaroos travel thousands of miles to competitions almost every weekend where inside the ring, they're frequently stomped on or trampled. And David Scott updates his story on Tommy Morrissey, a golf prodigy who at just seven years old was dominating his peers despite being born with only one arm. Now age 10, Tommy is starring in another sport, baseball. You can catch those stories and all recent episodes of Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel on HBO Max. And that'll do it for this Real Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Max Gershberg. Thank you for listening, and please join us again next time.